welcome to the Department of Metal Antiquities. Well, we remember what everyone else has forgotten. As always, it is Nick Cameron, also of Glacier Musical, joined by Duncan Evans, the musical man that has no idea where he's going next. How are we doing today, buddy? I have no idea where I'm going, who I am, or what day it is. No, I do. Yeah, it's all going fine. Um, I've got some non-alcoholic Guinness right here. Um, and, oh, we're doing yeah. a beer check on the DMA for the first time. Okay. Yeah. Beer we're check. doing that. Uh, I've got an Agent 77 Voodoo Ranger IPA. Nice. We should um, file for a, a sponsorship uh, from those guys. Um, yeah. So how's it going and who were we listening to then? I am very good, been doing, and will continue to be doing, to be doing later, more moving stuff. I spent all day yesterday working on moving into my new house, which also uh, culminated in me purchasing the worst steak of my life, but I'm not going to get into that too much unless anybody needs it, which then I'll talk about it. But we were listening to Mike Nikolai, his last album, A Satanic Line Cooks, wait a minute, no, I'm sorry. Mike Nikolai, and the album is A Line Cook's Guide to New Satanic Empires. Nice. It reminded me a bit of Dinosaur Jr. with the kind of chaotic soloing and noise rock, alternative rock type of thing. That is a really good explanation. Uh, I actually chose this because this week's subject is largely acoustic. So I chose a largely acoustic album and completely dropped the needle in the wrong place. Yeah, that was not acoustic at all. That was no, no, but everything leading up to it was very acoustic. So missed the mark on that one. But as this is the worst kept secret of the week, we are joined by one of my other favorite people in this world. I'm this is the Sister Wives podcast for me. So I've got my Sunday and my Wednesday meeting up again. So it's awkward as hell. But uh, we are doing a combination Glacier Musical podcast, I uh, guess, and DMA double episode with uh, Keefe Chakas. How are we doing today, Keefe? Keefe's on mute. He no, muted. he was not ready for that. I, he was oh, not right. ready for that, Nick. You need to oh, not ready for warning that. there, man. What a glow. Thank you all. Good to be here. Happy Sunday. Sunday morning for me. Uh, Nick tweeted like three, four hours ago that he was up early for Sunday, and I saw that tweet and then went to bed. So I'm back up for this pod, and I have coffee and maybe a seltzer. No beer yet. Too early I, uh, for me. I'm already on beer number two. You can judge of course me with choices if you'd like, because it's only I mean, 10, it's... 108, but I have been awake yeah, since right. 7 a.m., and I've already accomplished eight things, <clears throat> including cooking dinner. I like that you keep a tally on your number of accomplishments through the day, Nick. It's good. It makes me feel better, like I'm not uh, a terrible person. So, because sometimes I just need to remind myself that, because I'm very mean to myself. Sure. Well, we all need to not be if we can avoid that. So I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. as we are all huge Pink Floyd fans, I think we have all gathered here today to discuss the alternate world Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. However, before we get to that, I, I was doing my research today. I have actually listened to every Sid Barrett record today. couple right. of them, and three of them yesterday, which is all of them. So I've listened to all this, the entire recorded output of Sid Barrett in the past two days, twice. And doing my, my wiki research, because I'm professional, uh, let me give you what Pink Floyd's 1970 looked like. This is also going to include, obviously, the Sid Barrett work because Pink Floyd was involved with all of it. On 
January 3rd, 1970, The Madcap Laughs is released, partially produced by Roger Waters and David Gilmore. Mm-hmm. Uh, on March, God only knows what, because Wiki doesn't know, and Wiki knows as much as God, uh, the soundtrack to Zabriskie Point was released, which basically would feature about <laughs> half a side of music from Pink Floyd, though most of it was not used. On 10 2, Adam Hart Mother is released. On 11-14, Barrett is released, featuring, produced by David Gilmore, Rick Wright, and featuring David Gilmore and Rick Wright. On 11-28, Ron Geeson and Roger Waters release Music from the Body. As previously covered on this very podcast. As previously <laughs> covered. Great record. Weird as hell. It makes Sid yep. Barrett look positively sane. Mm-hmm. And then on 926, the Adam Hart Mother World Tour starts. So this is a year for these five guys. They they had an entire year, five records, four full length, one basic EP by these guys in one year. Yeah, incredible. Just goes to show the difference in output now in like the number of records you expect to do. These days, it's maybe one every two or three years. Back then, I guess standard was two albums a year, and then you'd end up doing other EPs and live albums and everything else in between, soundtracks and whatever. So, yeah, crazy by today's standards. Yeah, I mean, the the Pink Floyd guys in the late 60s, early 70s were on, what, four soundtracks? And then more in the 80s? I mean, it's not, not more because that was in the 70s, of course. Yes. Other soundtracks. I know what I mean. you mean. Yeah, absolutely. No, totally. They, they, I guess they were part of that art rock scene and they were into their uh, different art forms. So they um, w- were open to collaborating with uh, visual artists and um, filmmakers and, and all these sorts of, sorts of projects. Um, yeah. But what are we actually here to talk about today then specifically? I was wondering if we had actually mentioned that because I realized no. I just got off on a tangent. I'm like, huh. Uh, we are here to discuss the second record by the second and last solo album by Sid Barrett, the last recorded output of his entire career. And that is the semi, semi-eponymously titled Barrett. Indeed, indeed. And look, I guess we don't have to go into the whole Sid Barrett story because it's, I guess it's a fairly long story. It's also a story that most people who have any passing interest in Pink Floyd will have some, some basic awareness of. Um, but yeah, essentially by this stage, Sid Barrett had already been kicked out of Pink Floyd. Um, however, he was still wanting to do his own music and the guys from Pink Floyd wanted to help him because he was struggling. Things had got chaotic. Um, He didn't, he wasn't very productive. Apparently the recording sessions for the Madcap Laughs also um, helped out by Pink Floyd members, Roger Waters and David Gilmore. Those recording sessions were meandering, long, a lot of time wasted, a lot of maybe indulging Sid Barrett's um, what had become quite unusual tendencies. So I think by there this was a day, point during that recording where he walked up to Dave and he's like, hell, help me finish this. And 
Gilmore's response is, this is your career. Why aren't you figuring this out on your own? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then and he now, comes uh, back for the next one. So I, I, think, I know that a lot of, you know, we don't, I appreciate, you know, we, we'll hope that people will come into this podcast and know some of the history there. And if they don't, I think we, it's safe to say, regardless of the amount of literature out there spent on Sid about drugs and he kind of went off the deep end one day and never came back. I think it's fair and fair to him to say that he probably had some kind of advanced schizophrenia, uh, some deep mental illness and drugs or not that he could not come back from. He clearly could not get diagnosed correctly for. I don't know what they had for him back then. It's beyond bipolar disorder. If you read the stories, it's definitely like borderline personality disorder. I'm not trying to be insulting. I, lo- I love the man's music and, um, you know, he so, definitely lost his grip. There was a great, in one of the many hundreds of Pink Floyd documentaries that I have watched while trying to go to sleep, I think it was Nick Mason that said one, one day he looked in Sid's eyes and the lights were out. I've read, and, I've heard that, that quote. And it was, it was a slow progression where it went from, and he went from the elfin eccentric artiste into wait a minute this is not right and he but even during that time he released he wrote and recorded some very interesting and amazing music for sure for sure and i think by the sounds (laughs) of it it's it's almost like he kept he had these moments or these flashes of um being absolutely lucid writing some amazing stuff performing on stage being perfectly fine but then something would just flip like he'd just suddenly walk off stage after four songs and things like that and and yeah and that behavior became increasingly erratic and the erratic behavior became increasingly common and unpredictable and yeah you know um essentially he withdrew from music and from public life pretty soon after this and from Uh, what i understand his life after music was very comfortable and very emotionally fulfilling he became a painter and uh, apparently his painting was a little on the odd side much like his music was so that's not really a surprise but he just lived his life and apart from the wish you were here incident he just lived and you know he nobody knew who he was and he lived a life of anonymity which i'm sure at that point is something he wanted I think so. Yeah, I think he wanted to withdraw from it all. Apparently, if he was reminded of the band for years, it just made him depressed for a couple of weeks every time he was reminded of the band. Um, But yeah, as far as I am aware, he was quite happy getting on with his painting and living his life and existing from the royalties, which uh, thankfully continued to come through from those uh, Pink Floyd tracks that he wrote. Well, they kept kept re-releasing them. And yeah in part to help support Sid. And I think that David apparently was the linchpin of a lot of that stuff that he fought to keep Sid's voice present in terms of the business dealings of Pink Floyd and helps create trusts and things to keep Sid fluid and liquid at these times. And this is at the time in the seventies when Pink Floyd is broke, running from the tax man and not living in England because they are afraid of the rest. And you know, maybe that's why on Pulse, Astronomy Domini is there. A lot, yeah. Um, fun fact, by the way, because you just brought up that song. Um, you may not know when you listen to that song on the recorded, very, you know, 
debut of Pink Floyd, that first voice you hear in the song is their manager, Peter Jenner. And him and his partner, Andrew King, had formed Black Hill Productions to manage Pink Floyd. They had never worked in music before, but they believed so heavily in the early days of Pink Floyd that and in Sid that they formed a production company to manage the, the band along with the band. And when Sid couldn't be in the band anymore, they bet on Sid yeah, and went with Sid yeah. and did not manage Pink Floyd, the Pink Floyd we know best and we, we associate with money-making hugely successful 70s rock Pink Floyd. Those guys took Sid and were like, oh, Sid is the writer of Pink Floyd. These guys aren't going to do anything without him. Let's go with well, Sid. And have you just, ever, have you ever seen Rockstar? Yes. In Rockstar, there's a moment where, you know, the, the Steel Dragon, was that the name of the band, Steel Dragon? Steel Dragon tribute band kicks out Marky Mark and he goes, that's my microphone cord. I'm taking my mic cord. And like his girlfriend, who's the manager of the band, walks out with him and they go, where are you going? She goes, you follow the talent. And the talent just walked out the door. And that's what uh, these guys did. And you know what? More power to them. And one of the things about the Pink Floyd slash Sid Barrett chapter is uh, the gentleman in Pink Floyd, the other three, uh, come across as very callous in that moment. Like, they didn't actually fire Sid. They just stopped picking him up. And then all of a sudden everything was fine. You know, they brought in David to, to, to support him, not to supplant him. And then eventually he just became supplanted. So it's nice to see everybody, but Nick, who has the most guilt in modern days, supporting his endeavors and trying to make him a success, even without Pink Floyd. So that's really cool to see. Totally. So look for this one then, um, Basically, you've got um, Dave Gilmore and Rick Wright going in as producers. And there's a quote somewhere which I've currently lost. But basically, they say, look, the thing was, you just had to go in and try and get Sid to sing. Because like they knew he had some really good material and they wanted to help him in any way they could. Um, and the quote is like they're saying, look, you can't you can't worry about getting a really good guitar tone or anything like that. You've just got to go in and try and get Sid to stand in front of the microphone and sing. And that's a good session if you can do that. Um, and they, they managed- also recorded three songs on the first day, like finished finished three tunes on the right. first day. Well, and the whole thing took six months, which sounds like quite a long time, but the Madcap Laughs had taken a year to the whole process. And, and I think a lot of the reason why it even took as long as six months is because Pink Floyd kept going off on tour and to Correct. record that. I think there were stuff. actually two Pink Floyd tours during the right. recording of this. I believe they did. Uh, they were on tour for Amagama, came back, right. recorded Adam Hart Mother. So they're recording Adam Hart Mother. They're working on Sid's record. They're going on tours. They're all they're doing other soundtrack albums i mean they are the fact that none of them died during this year i think is pretty impressive for sure man sure so yeah i didn't i'm sorry i forgot where i was going so somebody else pick up well i was just gonna say look this is um the department of metal antiquity so we put the metal thing to one side for a minute because this is clearly not metal but the antiquities thing look this album is kind of forgotten um it basically flopped when it came out um and i believe it wasn't even released in the u.s until four years later when they released a compilation of the first two sid barrett albums on vinyl um yeah it didn't do well even sid barrett himself in a moment of lucidity 
basically um, rejected it and said, um, hang on, I'm trying to find the quote. I can't find any of the quotes because the Wikipedia article is so big. But basically he said, look, you've got to hit a certain standard with records. And he actually says neither. Here we go. They've got to reach a certain standard and that's probably reached in Madcap once or twice. And on the other one, meaning Barrett, only a little, just an echo of that. So, okay. Um, some of the reviews were quite good. Um, in more recent years, there's been some outstanding reviews. These records have been revisited. There are a lot of people who regard Barrett as a genius and really do rate these albums. Um, but it was certainly a mixed critical reception and not a great commercial reception. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And I mean, I think the thing about Sid is in America, in the United States, I cannot imagine anything Sid ever doing being a success because he is little more than a footnote to the, in the American consciousness. And, right. you know, it's not, we didn't have the two year buildup of Pink Floyd before Piper at the Gates of Dawn. Mm -hmm. We didn't even get all of the Piper at the Gates of Dawn until like 1975. Right, okay. We only got bits and bobs yeah. of it. And it wasn't until Relics that we even heard uh, Astronomy Domini and Interstellar Overdrive. I mean, those songs weren't on there. So it's like, right. okay, well, what even is this without that? And sure, sure. But yes, we are the Department of Metal Antiquities. This is definitely not metal. However, it is metal adjacent. There, I could, sure. I don't think I could throw a rock out my window without hitting 15 progressive metal bands that claim Pink Floyd is an influence. Absolutely. And Absolutely. if I could throw harder, it'd probably be like 200. Yeah, man. All right. Well, yeah, I guess that's most of the background of this. Um, so I don't know whether anyone has anything else to add. I'll just say I had not heard this before today. I think I'd heard one song from it before. I had heard it. I borrowed it from my library forever ago and never really. I mean, it's back when my Pink Floyd like super fandom is probably not as old as either of you expect would think it is. We're talking about five years before right. that. It was bits and it was just parts. You know, it was the wall. It was this. It was that. And then I just started deep diving about a, about five years ago, just to get more. And so I'm trying to, you know, and whenever I deep dive into something, I go way way overboard. I mean, that's just what I do. I'm now only missing two records by anybody in Pink Floyd while not in Pink Floyd. I'm only missing Z. And David Gilmore's rattled that lock. And after listening to the first track on Z, oh, I don't know that that's ever going to find itself find find its way to the shelf because that was Rick Wright describes it as something that never should have been recorded. Oh, yeah, I'm not going to say he missed the mark on that one because I wish we would have got that jazz album from him. But I will say that um, I grew up hearing the this record as the collection of the two, the U.S. release, Madcap Laughs and Barrett together. And um, yeah, it's been interesting revisiting this record. I'll just say that to start. And uh, yeah, I have I'll to say, say the commentary. I, I got to say one thing before we get into the commentary. I want to throw a big thank you to my friend Duncan, who really helped me out on this one. This was part of my English package. So it was the final yes. piece in the English package. I ordered uh, Beastie Boys, She's On It, David Lee Roth, A Little Ain't Enough, um, this one I've forgotten. Yeah, there was something else. I don't know, man. 
Oh, uh, Van Halen OU812. That's right. It was a pretty cool package to get from England that I saved a bunch of money on by ordering over time. So thank you very much. I was able to listen to this, the predecessor and Piper the Gates of Dawn on vinyl. I also have, because Harvest released Piper and Secrets in a two in a two piece package in the states in order to make money off that when Pink Floyd got popular. So I have that, and I have a Barrett, and I have Barrett in a two two album package. So it's kind of funny to me. I've got all of Sid Barrett's albums, his, his entire output in two two record sets. Nice, nice. All right. Well, I'm ready to get into the track by track. If everybody else is, I am ready. I will ask this week. Uh, do you just lead the whole thing to keep it simple? Because there's three of us. Is that me you're addressing? There? Yes, you. Right, I will do it. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Okay, cool. So, well, all right. Well, that's, that's me then. Okay, let's start. So track one, Baby Lemonade. Well, look, I'll, I'll just start on this one then um, this time round. So, okay, so it starts off with a load of psychedelic blues folk pop riffs on a jangly, clean electric guitar, which I've subsequently read was actually just... Barrett kind of noodling to warm up, and but but someone recorded it, and then Gilmore spliced it in as an intro to the song. So then it was great. It's really nice. It's almost like a precursor to the Smiths or something. Um, and then it completely changes gear and goes into this um, acoustic guitar, organ, and bass kind of folky psychedelia. And yeah, I would say this is classic Sid Barrett songwriting. It's eccentric. It's nursery rhymeish. It's poppy. It's catchy. It's slightly odd, and even though it's kind of upbeat, it's also got this thread of melancholy running through it. Um, yeah, look, it's a good song. Interesting lyrics, of course. Not necessarily easy to work out what he's going on about, but it's always interesting the way that he says complete nonsense. You know, he's clearly he's clearly going for something. He knows what he means, and the rest of us can just be intrigued and interested um, and wonder. So, um, yes, I liked this one. I also really like this one. This one is very reminiscent. It's it's the probably the one time it feels a little bit like Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It's got the 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 arpeggios. He's playing one note, I think, wrong. I think he's playing one note a half step down. Cause it, it definitely when you say it's a warm-up, yeah, it definitely sounds like a warm-up because there's something not quite right, which is what makes it so deliciously. Sid Barrett, something is just not quite right, but it comes out perfectly. Sid's vocals on this are just immaculate. In he was a great singer, but not always. There were times when he would go real off key, and I think he did it on purpose. I want to believe he did it on purpose. I don't know. The then this then. Once it get past the in, gets past the intro, you get into the Sid Barrett without Pink Floyd. I think, and that's the Sid Barrett that Roger Barrett wanted to be. You know, it's very much acoustic, very thick, throaty chords, kind of recorded poorly because both albums have, both of the solo albums have this kind of acoustic sound that Rory Gallagher would use to great effect from time to time about 10 years later. And then you've got Rick. Now, Rick, there was no organ on the first one. The first one, there was it was just bass, guitar, drums. So having the keyboards really improves this record for me quite a bit. 
And I don't normally say that about keyboard players because I find them to be interchangeable. But great start on this album. Great start. I will chime in and say weirdly that Baby Lemonade has one of the few seemingly fully formed songs on the record. Uh, it's interesting to me that there are 11 songs here and four of them are take ones that made the final album. A few take twos and a take three. It's unheard of normally that the first, and again, you know that they're basically trying to fashion his ideas into a song as they go. He didn't say this song is done. They just tried to capture the essence of what he was doing and make it into a song. There are a lot of fade outs at the end of these things. And I think that David has a quote somewhere that is like Baby Lemonade. I thought it was an intro to another song and we just tracked it. And then he came in one day, like I had heard the music and I thought, oh, that's an intro to something. That must be something. And then Sid came in and sang on it on take one. Like he had an idea that it was a song and David didn't know it was a song. And so he's playing, you know, you play differently when you know it's a song versus an intro. This is a verse. This is a chorus. You know, David is not a natural thought of as a natural bass player, although he's played some bass on Pink Floyd records, most notably Hey You um, on the wall. But uh, yeah, just wild. <clears throat> Good song, though, for this yeah. record. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say there's a quote here. Um, so... Yeah, but basically, apparently Sid Barrett's trying to direct the other musicians and tell them what he wanted. He was saying things like, perhaps we could make the middle darker and maybe the end a bit middle afternoonish. At the moment, it's too windy and icy. So he wasn't really telling them, he wasn't giving them anything concrete to work with. They just had to do whatever. And then he would kind of go, yeah, make it sound more like a lemon. And then they'd be like, what does that mean? And um, I say, him saying... It's a little middle afternoonish. I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. Okay. Not much else does, but I mean, that one, I totally get that. <laughs> okay. It means yeah, it's well, almost dark, but it's not quite dark enough. Okay. Yeah, all right. All right. Okay, well, look, let's move on this. A track two, Love Song. So, I don't know. Keefe, you want to start on this one? Yeah. You know, again, um, I think my memory of this album is better than the album is now. <laughs> My ears. Uh, love song. Sometimes it sounds like they're not playing the same song at the same time. And I think that's also on purpose. And I think that's a very inherent Sid thing to create like a jarring experience, even in a, in a comforting um, musical moment. Um, I think it's interesting. So yeah, you know, it's, a so it's solid. I don't think of it as the best thing here. I'll, I'll go ahead and pick up. I love it. I love this song. It is, it's, you know, it's, it's a very lucid lyrical thought for Sid. He's remembering someone he loved. He still loves her. He still likes her. He'd, he'd go to coffee and get some tea with her. I mean, you know, the, the vocals are, you know, we're starting to get things down where the vocals are being turned down a little bit. We're getting a little bit of menacing in the vocals, which is, you know, a little menace and a little, a little darkness in the Sid songs is, you know, it, it I, I think that shows the, the, the madness that's a little bit within on, on the Sid songs. And 
on this one, you know, as you pointed out, David Gilmore does play bass on this record. He, I think there's a couple uh, there's a couple of segments here and there where he puts a little bit of guitar down. No solos or anything like that, at least not reported. But on this one, you know, I, I find typically that when guitar players try to play bass, you're either a guitar player or you're a bass player and never the twain shall really meet for me as a listener. And, but David really turns in a great bass line on this one. He does a lot of, on this entire record, he does a lot of great walking bass lines. And he works very well with Rick at this point. They've been together for a few years. The organ is great. It's slow. And yes, they are definitely not playing the same song at all times, which, you know, gives it that nice little bit of, hmm. And that's very indicative. If you go back, and I went back and I listened to Piper at the Gates of Dawn today. There's a lot of that on Piper as well. And that, this is not new. This is just, this is just, you know, what happens when Sid doesn't have Roger in his ear, in the way I see it. Yeah, I mean, I like this. I think it's a good song. Um, it's got this steady shuffle rhythm. It's it's warm and tender, but again, it's got this melancholy thread running through. There's a really nice pump organ on this. I think it's a pump organ. It certainly sounds like one. Um, yeah, great melodies, great lyrics. Um, and there's a bit of toy piano as well. It gives it that childlike, whimsical um, element. Um, yeah, I, I started to notice here that uh, of course, Sid Barrett's delivery is quite deadpan. It's quite straight. He's not a rock and roll singer, um, but it was really, really deadpan on this. And I thought it worked. It was great. But it's like I almost couldn't tell whether this was an intentional decision or whether it was just that his mind was somewhere else and he was just kind of reading the lyrics and not really putting anything into them it works don't get me wrong whether it was intentional or not but i just started to notice that and that's a bit of a running theme on some of the other tracks um but yeah i liked this one as well but i i totally also appreciate what you both said about uh, at times it just doesn't quite hang together and you it, you really feel that they're they're recording this never said that song. this always hangs together it's just well, not in terms always of them right. not playing the same yeah well, and it feels like they're, they're not quite sure what Sid's going to do next. And they're kind of going with it. And then sometimes they're sort of going against it. And then you're not quite sure whether that's part of the plan or or what, or whether he's just singing it completely differently from how he sang it on the previous take. But it works, though. It works. I quite like that slight edginess and dissonance to it. I agree. And that's what makes Sid's music work for me. It's mm -hmm. on the edge. It's because I have to shoehorn kiss into everything. I'm going to shoehorn kiss in right now. The way Peter Chris described Tommy Thayer playing Ace Frehley's solos, he plays Ace Frehley's solos note for note like it's Beethoven. But when Ace plays them, it's dangerous because you never know. Ace might fall down. Tommy's not going to fall down. And that's a Sid, that's Sid Barrett in a nutshell to me. He might fall down in the studio while it's happening, which gives it that menacing edge where you just don't know and that's what i like yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so next up we have track three which is called dominoes 
So this is a more steady shuffle rhythm with acoustic guitar and electric organ rather than the pump organ. Um, it's more meandering. And and again, there's a lot of this melancholy, even more melancholy this time. Um, I like the atmosphere. I like the vibe. Um, the meanderingness, yeah, again, it does kind of feel like they don't quite always know what they're going to play next or what Sid's going to do next. Um, but it works. It builds nicely. There's some good hooks, some interesting atmospheric sound effect bits. And there's an electric piano solo going on in one ear at the same time as a backwards effecty guitar solo thing. Effecty sound thingy is in the other ear. Um, so, yeah, I like this one. But what I would say is... Um, it could be argued that it's a bit directionless. Um, I do like it, but it doesn't feel like they exactly knew what they're doing. And I'm not quite sure this is a fully formed song. And this is a bit of a running thing. A bit directionless. Are we talking about a Roger Waters solo record? Okay, I thought it was funny. I don't get it, man. Is, that, is, it, is it cleverer than I thought it was? I don't a, lo a lot of people accuse Roger Waters' solo records of being so grandiose, but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing to get there. Well, okay. Roger. Roger doesn't agree. I like his solo records. I love his solo records. His solo records are as good as any Pink Floyd record. I said it. Oh, totally. totally. Oh. Go ahead, Keith. Get us back <laughs> no, to they're not, but, no, they're not. No, they're not. Yeah, yeah, Barrett. So and another debate for another time. But, you know, I'm... We're going to have it. I'm of the school that I think side two is better than side one of this record, but Dom yeah, Domino's is probably indicative of what they were going through and try to imagine yourself try like this guy is a complete wild card in not the best way in like a way where he really can't, he doesn't have control of what's going on. So how can anyone else, you know, I, I, I we haven't talked about Jack Shirley who's the drummer, uh, one of the drummers on this record. You know too. what, I, I, I'm going to address that real quick because we have been discussing this both on the GMP and the DMA going forward. And I've been saying it's, uh, you know, Barrett, Gilmore, Rick Wright, and insert drummer here. And oh my God, I have really, yeah. really impugned Jack Shirley because he is not just rando drummer like Tony Franklin in The Firm uh, was the bass player. He... Tony Franklin went on to success later, but at the time, he it was you know just bassist. But yeah, this guy is is, is quite quite the accomplished oh. drummer, and it you know it, it it is what it is. And uh, I wish I had never said that. But to for my point opinion on Domino's, Domino's is another great song, and this has all of the wonderful great stuff uh of sid barrett and i love that sid barrett and when i hear those soft vocals when i hear all those wonderful things it's like this is that guy this is that guy that sang bike and bike is my fate one of my absolute favorite pink floyd songs if not my absolute favorite and yeah, see, I'm I'm a Arnold Lane and see Emily play and things like that, and you know, I I we want 
we want this to be great. You want it to, it's got like glints of promise and I'll save my summary for the end, but like, it's like you want everything to be that level. And I think it's hard for him to get to that level. I think that's what we're seeing here. And um, I, I do, I'm sorry, I said Jack Shirley. It's Jerry Shirley. Oh, I said Jack Shirley. You made me, you, you, you okay. You, you gave me the so it's Jerry Shirley, who is in Humble Pie and yes. also in a great session player and a, had a whole career in, in rock and, and Willie Wilson was also a very fine drummer and uncredited on these tracks are members of the soft parade who came in also managed by Peter Jenner and Andrew King. And um, those guys came in and also played, but it's tough to know what they played because it's never talked about. They might not have allowed themselves to be credited similar to Mick rock who did not take a credit for the, photo of Sid on here like maybe they're like I'm going to distance myself from this hot mess uh, sort of a thing I, I can see um, that and if I may finish up my take on the yeah. on this song if you if you don't mind um th this song is very indicative of this album because as each song goes on it gets more and more avant-garde more and more huh and this is a very avant-garde and strange song and then and then we move into the ironically titled, Is It Obvious? Indeed. <clears throat> so, well, who's, Nick, do you want to start on this one, to, to be honest? Because you I can, start, I on can start on this one. Um, for this one, for me, what makes this song, this song is very, again, and I, 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 I shouted out Rick Wright on this album. And again, I'm going to point out, I'm not a guy that's a fan of keyboard players ever unless their name is James Legg or Ray Manzarek. Those are the only two that I've ever really given two craps about. However, Rick Wright on this record is the MVP. He has been able, and this is another one, this this song, the, the his piano on this song is what made this a song rather than the meanderings of a crazy person. You know, I have seen more, I'm this is a very insensitive. I'm sorry. I love everyone. I'm basically a hippie at heart, even though hippies are dirty and smelly. But I have seen more coherent ramblings by by schizophrenics in San Francisco than this song. Thank God Rick Wright was there to to make it happen and, and make it great. Uh, yeah, um, this this one I've described it as a confused sounding mess. Like there's snatches of these great psychedelic melodies, but it's like Sid had written the song, had an idea of the melodies, but just hadn't put those pieces together. The lyrics are there, the melodies are kind of there, but then that jigsaw is still in the box and it's just not put together. And then the band are going, right, okay, so where does it start? And Sid's like, well, I don't know. Right now it's gonna start here. Then there's gonna be a gap and nobody knows what's going to happen and um yeah so they're trying to roll with it but it's this kind of unchanging um this unchanging sort of background music um yeah with this confused stuff over the top so this is where what becomes obvious is the fact that they don't quite know what they're doing here due to sid barrett's inability to put the pieces together i think there is a lot of they don't know what they're doing here because you have four very accomplished musicians and Sid who's accomplished. Don't get me wrong, 
but he is not. I don't know that Sid Barrett is on the same page with Sid Barrett at this moment. Yeah, it's like the hardest test. It's the hardest test at music school ever. What is this song? Make it one. It's like Vegetable Man. He's playing Vegetable Man for them constantly. Or no, 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 that's not the song. What was it called? Is it Have You Got It Yet? That was the one. The last thing he tried to play for Pink Floyd was Have You Got It Yet? And he changed it every time he played it for them. For like hours. There's a few of those. We have, we, I thought we would end talking about Have You Got It Yet at Vegetable Man and Take Up Thy Stet- Stethoscope and I'm so, those no, scream things. Thy, scream Thy Last Scream. Scream Thy Last Scream. Sorry, thank you. Scream Thy Last no, Scream. No, the Stethoscope ridiculousness, I believe, was a Roger Waters composition. Yeah, of all things. Well, that's when he was trying to be Sid. But uh, Keefe hit yeah. us. Tell us, talk about du- Duncan basically said what I was going to say. So I really he have nothing. people's notes. That's what he does. It It is obvious his the weakest track on here in a bishmash of tracks and it's i again i i said i want this to be great i want i you feel like there could be greatness in here sid is very talented inherently talented maybe didn't even know sometimes when it was leaking out or eking out but like he wanted to be good this track is not that good it's just not that good i agree okay i like so okay Track six, the last track on side one is called Maisie, and I feel it should be Keefy to start on this one. We skipped one. I think we skipped Rats. Yeah. Oh, we skipped it, Rats. I'm sorry. It, well, Keefy it, can start it's on Rats. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, no we quite. should do Rats. Keefy should start on Rats. Yeah, sorry. Sure, I'll, I'll start on Rats. Yeah, Rats is solid. Uh, rats and Maisie, to me, are, are uh, you know, sort of a tick up from the last track. Uh, you know, Rats is very solid. Um, Sid is very obsessed with lists. I think that's where Roger probably got it from. Sid is obsessed with animals and creatures and rodents and all kinds of flora and fauna. Wow, I, I wonder that... if Roger got being obsessed with animals from Sid too. I mean, you know. I'm not saying very... he did or didn't. I'm just saying that there's a lot of you citizens know, that... Guys who are friends share, people who are friends share their intellectual passions Pursuits. together yeah. and, they, and these two roger and sid were very close friends yeah which really tells you a lot that roger did not want to be involved with this record at all after the last one he could not he's yeah, like he's no just, nope nope i'm no no no, no i guess you. dave had a little bit more survivor's guilt than roger did because <laughs> dave went back dave dave did yeah. that and he he's the yeah. one that's like look sid come on man do something you know it's like poking at him he's right. like that that meme do something yeah. And he came back. It says, it says a lot that Rats is a demo and not an actual final recording, but that the demo made the album. Oh, it is? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's the only one in the album listing proper that's listed as a demo version. And, and not a We don't even know. We don't even know. <laughs> we don't even know. Rats is solid. I'll tell you that. It's a solid. Well, the thing is, is you could say that and we all go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But maybe it's not even true. Maybe that is the best studio recording they got, and they said that about it, just to be like, no. Right. Duncan, what do you feel? How does Rats sit with you? Okay, so for me, I quite like the driving groove of it. You've got this dark, menacing driving groove, a bit a bit funky bluesy in a way, um, but menacing funky blues. Um, but And I, I like some of the hooks. Um, I like the way the dynamics build, but this, for me, is right on this on the borderline between 
absolutely terrible and genius. It's like I kept, I kept thinking, no, it's gone. It's in the bin. This is terrible. And then it would do something really cool, like just do a weird little cool chord change or something. And I'd be like, actually, yes, this is great. This is great. But then just when it's it was redeeming itself and I was going, oh, it's about to do something really cool now, it just kind of then stopped and died away. So it, it sums up the whole record in a way for me. It's like there's these flashes of utter genius. There's a lot of absolute crap. And then it sort of just dies before it's quite started properly. But you've got to hear it. Everyone should hear it, you know? <laughs> All right. Well, I think we already got Duncan's rating, but <laughs> moving forward, if it's, if I may uh, jump in on rats here, uh, I'm going to quote uh, the great philosopher of our time, Jimmy Pop from the Bloodhound Gang from his song, The Great White Mope. He's teeter. This entire record is teeter tottering between G between brilliance and insanity. Yes. And this is another one of those songs. I, it's got those. I don't know if anybody would understand this phrasing. This might be a little mid-afternoon-ish, as it were. But it, the choked-up chords, it it reminds me of a, a baseball player choking up on the bat in order to get a hit. It just doesn't It doesn't sound quite full. It doesn't sound quite right. He's just trying to, to tuck it back to maybe stop the reverb, stop the resonance. And there's a lot of that on this record, and which, again, is something that Rory Rory Gallagher. If you listen to Irish album or uh, Irish Tour '75 by Rory Gallagher, which I have on vinyl because that gives me power. Um, there's a there's a couple of acoustic tunes on there. He plays like I think a three or four song acoustic run in the middle of it where it's got that kind of sound. And I think a lot. Can I just say I think this is a twelve string acoustic thing. I think Rory Gallagher plays a twelve string. Then Dave Gilmore plays some twelve string on this. I, mm, I've got mm. a feeling because it's, it's that really big twelve string yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. sound. I think. Well, it's in the whole. This song shows that pop sensibility that was Sid Barrett at his on his best days, and even though this song is teeter tottering all over everywhere. It's got the best of Sid on it. Maybe not the entire song, but this is, I love this song. Sure, it. sure, man. Um, yeah, okay, well, now we are on to Maisie, the final track of side one. So I'll start on this one. So you've got this. It's, Duncan it's got so, it right. He said the last track of side one. I know, <laughs> I actually checked that this time because I know I'm bad for not checking that. And you're like, whoa, 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 it's not track seven. It's track one of side two. So yes, so it's a slow blues. It's a one chord, 12 bar, no, sorry, not 12 bar blues because it's one chord. Um, slow blues shuffle with a super deep kind of ironic um, voice kind of thing. Slightly better than that, not much. Um, you've got this interesting short delay effect on the drums, a kind of Phil Spector kind of type of thing. Um, to be honest, this song for me is a bit of nothing. It just, it, it, it just felt like just nothing. It's like, oh, do we have another song? No, but I can play a slow blues and do some stupid low vocals um, and we'll just mess around for three minutes. Yeah, okay. I, I couldn't get behind this one. Sorry. All right, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm unmuted, so I'm going to go. I got things to say, and a lot of them are now aimed at Duncan. They weren't before, but all of a sudden they're aimed at Duncan. 
Uh, one, this song is amazing, period. Uh, is it played well? No. Is it sung well? Also no. Is it written well? Definitely not. Wow, I don't know which side I'm arguing for at this point. Um, <laughs> this song, I love it. I, I love the simplicity. I'm going to go with that. I love the simplicity of Maisie. It is totally awful. It is completely poorly written. It's like Sid listened to Bring It On Home by Led Zeppelin, but stopped before that. Like stopped before there and went, oh man, that's genius. I bet I could do that for eight minutes. And now we have Maisie. Yeah, yeah. I concur. I concur. I, With I think the idea of Maisie is a good idea. And could they have executed it the way I think they thought it was going to come out? I would take 11 of those rather than some of this gobbledygook. But um, let oh, I forgot I, to say, Sid's vocals on this. God, I love him. Yeah, I, it's a good choice, like in terms of what he's trying to go for. And you can definitely hear other people definitely take this idea and execute it better. Mark Lanigan, Tom Waits, Nick Cave, anybody else. The, the, yeah. You know, he might have even been doing like a Leonard Cohen here. Like he's really trying hard. Totally. Like it's not it's not done in mirth, that voice. He meant it. Like he really meant he committed. And I give him a tip the, off the, the cap to the commitment of this. But um, yeah, the execution. Mm, but you know what? Like, I wonder what an album of if Sid Barrett was like all right with the world and his all his ships were, you know, steady. If he could have done a whole blues album, I wonder what that would have been like. Because what's interesting a, is that when Sid joined the band is when they stopped being blues. Fair. None of this makes sense. Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, let's move on. Let's flip that record. Side two. So, Gigolo Aunt. Um, I think it is Keefe's turn to go first on this one. Right on. These poor bastards had to do at least 15 takes of this song. Oh, my gosh. Um, at least this is the, the final recorded version is the 15th take, which means they did at least 15 takes. Oh, oh, man. My heart bleeds for these dudes, but it's a good track. It's actually probably the most standard. Can I use a, a Duncanism and call it the bog standard in a not complimentary <laughs> way, but it is the most bog standard song on this album. That sounds like a song that sounds like an it early does sound track. like a song. It All sounds like a song. Through. It sounds like a Piper at the Gates of Dawn type mm -hmm. of song. Um, and it has a, a, a semblance of like, they actually put a lot of work into it. Not just that it was 15 takes or that there were overdubs in the final version that they really, this is a track that probably stood out to them. And I think it was one of the first few they did on that first couple of days. And that, that like stayed, oh, we still like this months later. And um, it's solid, it's catchy. I feel like these next, this song and the following two form like an unofficial trilogy to me. Uh, to my ears, but you guys comment on that. Yeah, well, I thought this was a proper song. I agree. Um, I listen you guys are reading my notes. I said the same. That's like the first thing I said in my notes. Yeah. Well, there's some great melodies, some great chord sequences. Um, it's quite a sparse arrangement. There's some guitar, but it's just kind of lead guitar, not really doing the rhythm. So you've just got organ, bass, and drums. There's a lot of space there. So and I like that. So it, it almost hints at this classic psychedelia thing, but it's sparser than you than it would normally be. Um, some good guitar solos. Um, 
it maybe goes on a little bit too long at the end and gets a bit lost. Like they, they get a bit into meandering mode, but it's a good song and I like it. And this feels like Sid Barrett doing what Sid Barrett does well. Correct. I'm, I'm going to agree with everything Duncan just said. Largely, you've already read my notes, so I'm going to say new things that I don't didn't write down. I will say the one thing in my notes that you guys didn't talk about. David Gilmore's baseline on this record, on the song, on this particular track, he's got a walking baseline. It is melodic. It is very, should I say, dare I say, reminiscent of someone he knows. Roger Waters, perhaps? Maybe, I don't know. Or maybe Roger Waters stole from him, heard this track and wrote money. Either way. But it, it's it's like that episode of Seinfeld where George was trying to convince a lady that he was trying to date. And uh, gentlemen listening, just be yourselves. Don't, don't do this. Uh, I was trying to convince a woman that he was a marine biologist. And uh, so he, he's walking down the beach with this woman who believes he's a marine biologist. And he comes across a beached whale. And there was a, uh, a golf ball that Kramer had struck in the in the whale's blowhole. And the lady says, you're a marine biologist, George. Help this whale. So he pulls it out. And he recounts the story later to Jerry and Kramer. And he says, gentlemen, in that moment, I was a marine biologist. And that's David Gilmore on this track. In this moment, David Gilmore is a legitimate bassist. So... Good work on that. Everything else you guys said is completely spot on. I would point out again that Sid is singing exceptionally well on this entire album. Uh, unlike the last one where there's some bits of bits and bobs of throw that away. But, you know, this is probably con the best conventional song on the entire album. It's not crazy apart from what he says, because uh, nobody's discussed Gigolo Aunt. A gigolo is a male prostitute. An aunt is... Yeah, I a... don't know what he's talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Does but... anyone ever know what Sid is talking about? No, possibly not even Sid some of the time. My favorite song um... by Sid is Bike. Yeah. And the lyrics are pretty straightforward. There's no, lack, complete lacking of metaphor. And I don't know what's going on there. Totally, totally. I think Paintbox is the last song I can think of where Sid meant what he meant and we understood it correctly i don't even know what song that is okay cool <laughs> um super cool yeah gigolo on is weirdly one of the better songs on here which tells you kind of what you need to know about this whole record uh but with that in mind keep listening to this podcast as we go through the rest of the tracks <laughs> indeed okay so the next two are a, are a sort of duo so I, I treated them separately. So we've got waving my arms in the air and I never lied to you. Are we doing these separately or what? So we just I did it. Separately? I did it as they one are. track. Okay. I feel like they are two tracks. So I, I don't know. Well, well look, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to start. So Go waving ahead. my arms in the air, like you've got this piano led, steady, fastish shuffle. I think it's a good song. Great melodies, nice psychedelic blues rock chord sequence, great drumming. Should have mentioned this before. Yeah, great drummer. Um, I know you guys were talking about that. I disappeared for a moment when my connection went. But anyway, um, the vocals miss the low notes regularly. He's a bit off. He can't really hit those low notes. But in a way, it's part of the charm. Um, okay, so I'll go on to I Never Lied to You. Um, 
you've got big acoustic guitar, that 12 string sound again, drums, piano and bass. Um, quite simple psychedelia. Um, the vocals missing the low notes again, but you know, it's kind of working. And then just when I was getting a little bit bored, it threw in some interesting rhythm and chord changes, some, some I guess, classic Sidisms. Um, so yeah, I like those two tracks. I like them. Me too. I also, I like them. And like, I, I actually meant, I also consider them sort of all as one track. So when I said that I think that I meant the next three, I really meant the next four. Jiggle right. on, waving my arms in the air, I never lie to. And the next track, Wind and Dine, to me, all form kind of like a little suite of tracks. They're about, they seem like they're about relationships with different types of people for Sid. Um, I, I think I never lied to use like a t the, the ending is a tick up from the beginning. And um, I don't, it does have also shades of early Sid work on it that I like. You guys have way more to say about this one than I do. I, I've listened to this song. It, I've listened to this entire record at least three times this week, including two times in the past 24 hours. And this one has left no, very little to no impression on me. It's got the, the creepier Sid, you know, the Arnold Lane, the uh, CMLE play kind of Sid, none of that like playful kind of said like interstellar overdrive or astronomy domini or or bike and i like that said that's it that's it is is cool but honestly i never really noticed it being two different songs it always seemed like a single track to me i envy you guys. Fair enough. all right well track 10 then is wind and dined um so yeah for me sorry i'm uh it's not my turn to start ahead, i'll start ahead. anyway fine so Classic Sid Barrett psychedelia, great organ sound, tambourine on the backbeat, it's nice. Um, you've got this weird wah-wah crunchy guitar noise effect thing in one ear, which adds some, some welcome strangeness. Um, yeah, it's a good song. It's catchy, it's poppy, it's weird, it's eccentric. Um, so yeah, works for me. This one to me, it's, it's, a it's a wonderful example that Sid Barrett on this record, and probably most records, has as he and I, i'm not giving a an armchair psychological diagnosis by any stretch but on his recorded output he has up and he has down he has a complete you know manic depressive kind of writing and singing he's either singing really happy or he's singing really down and this in both of those those sid modes both of those variations can be utterly magical. And this is a magical song for me. I love this one. Yeah, it's uh, interestingly enough, apparently Wind and Dined might predate even Pink Floyd and was goes like was an early Sid attempt at a song and then he just held on to it. And, you know, maybe this is another one of those things like, hey, we need a song. I've got one I haven't used before. And so, you know, apparently fully formed out of his pocket, one of the few things he had ready to go for these sessions or sort of in reserve, if you will. Uh, I think it's a good track. I like it. Uh, another one of these that is from the later sessions on the album. Um, you know, it's interesting back in the day, you used to sort of, you know, unless you were writing in the studio and recording as you went, which was very few bands, oftentimes the sequencing of an album 
would be like, here's the order we wrote them in, and that's what it is. So it's interesting that like, you know, this these sessions were done in different parts and it's kind of all over the place, yet they still, you know, you're not really capturing the same sound, especially, you know, other sessions happen in between and things like that. So it's interesting that there's any semblance of unity on these tracks, but Wind and Dined is weirdly one of the better ones for me and one that I remembered from my earlier listening experiences on this record. On this particular album, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on your point about the, you know, you, you wrote them in that order, they go in that order. You know, any semblance of, of an album feeling. This album was recorded in six months over the course of, uh, we'll call it nine, over the course of nine months. He did a show, Sid did a show on, oh God, what was the name? Uh, da, 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 da. He did a show and then with, with Shirley and Gilmore, and then two yeah, days on the later, Top Gear show on um, Top Gear, yeah. Thingy, but uh, I've forgotten what his name is now. The guy, um, I can't remember his name. John Peel, John uh, Peel's Peel, Top yeah. Gear show. And then within two, literally two days later, he's in the studio with these guys. And yep. and then during this, David's recording another record. David's playing, you know, David and and Rick are playing shows around England. They're probably doing shows in Germany and France and Spain during the same days because it's, it's Europe. It's not America. And so, yeah, the fact that this even feels like it was recorded over the course of a couple of weeks and that it doesn't sound like. Uh, OK, I'm going to stop where I'm going because I don't like what's going in my head. Moving on. I like where it was going. Uh... Nope, you didn't hear what's in my head. All right. Okay. Well, let's move on. Let's move on. So, look, the penultimate track is called Wolfpack. Um, Keefe, start us off. We're, as we head to the end of these tracks and uh, the final bits and bobs they recorded for these, uh, Wolfpack is actually another pretty good track. Um, you know, it's, it's solid. They, you know, it seems somewhat developed comparatively to again side one just seems like a mess and all over the place and and not really refined and this is like oh they had worked on this a little bit uh take two is the final one that made the album lord only knows how many takes they really took here um i i rather like these these later tracks including wolfpack mm-hmm yeah, I liked this. Um, it's in 6-8, bluesy, psychedelic rock. It reminded me a lot of the Rolling Stones, um, their Satanic Majesty's Request, or whatever that album's called, that one, the Rolling Stones psychedelic record. It's very big sounding. There are layered vocals, huge, lush acoustic guitars, lots of big drum films. I, I actually thought this might be the most Pink Floydish song here, as in early Pink Floydish. Um, yeah, great atmospheres. And a pretty good song. I don't think it's the best thing that Sid's ever written, but the atmosphere and the way it builds and the way it's presented makes up for that. Um, so, yeah, very, very much worth listening to um, the big and bombastic side of Sid Barrett. For me, this was the Sid... And I, I'm going to agree. This is a little reminiscent of Piper at the Gates of Dawn. It is that oddball kind of pop star which is exactly what Piper was. Piper was an album where you just really didn't know where it was going. And I don't know that they knew. It's, it's pretty similar to this one. 
And, you know, that's all I really got for this one. Good song. Yeah. All right. So the final track then, and this is the only one that I had actually heard previously, is Effervescing Elephants. What? Go ahead. So, yeah. So, um, Nick, do you want to start on this one? I feel like it should be your turn to start. All right. Fair enough. Uh, thank you for choosing me on one that I have very little to say about. So I can start okay. off. And I like to go last so I can piggyback off what everybody else says. So that way nobody knows I didn't. Well, I'll go first well if you want. Else. Oh no, no, no! I'm going first okay, now. Okay. Now I'm on the now I'm on the spots. Now I okay. didn't say any of those things I just said. Um, this this is another song where Sid's singing about animals. Instead of singing about one, he sings about fifty, and it's another kind of childish nursery rhyme, menacing song where God only knows what he was thinking when he wrote that down on paper, if he even did. Then it's got all of those big horns, which, I mean, I'll read you the entirety of my notes on this song. This sounds a bit familiar. And it's very reminiscent of, was it Jug Band Blues? Yeah. Where in the middle of that song, it's got this this huge horn section. And that was the last thing Sid did as a member of Pink Floyd. Totally. Um, Yeah, look... It's really short, this song. It's about a minute, because on either side of the minute, you've got some elephant noises and bits of tuba or the end of sounds of crickets. The actual song is like a minute. Yeah, look, it's a silly, childish nursery rhyme, um, but it's got this air of melancholy. It's, I, I guess it's classic Sid in a way. It's, it's that eccentric English oddball nursery rhyme, childlike, thing um so yeah I, it's not my favorite song in the world but it works great for what it is you know he he knew exactly what he was doing here and yeah it's, it's well executed I, I it's one of those you can't quite tell if it's a joke how much of this is a joke like you know I, I'm, I'm not sure he even knows so there we go yeah fair enough i i also rather like this track and i feel like if this had been recorded five years earlier on one of the early Pink Floyd records, this would have been one of their songs that was like this much of a tiny idea. And then live, they would have jammed this thing for 20 minutes. And, well, um, he doesn't have anybody working with him like that on this record. They're, what they're well, he trying can't to, work like that anymore. Correct. Then what they're trying to do is they're trying to make him just sound like a guy. Yeah. They're, they're trying to get him... It's it, this basically yeah. is comfortably numb for six months. Kind of. Um, I don't know if anybody saw the Marvel Eternals movie that just passed, but uh, uh, Angelina Jolie's character suffers from an affliction called Mad Weary, and this album is Mad Weary, and Sid is Mad Weary, and he oh, literally that might is a out great. That is a great terrible hip hop record name. I know it is. I know it's the reference they meant. It's not in the Marvel comics, but I'm saying like he's literally unstable. They're trying to coerce genius out of him. They're trying to get pearls from an oyster. That's like I'm I'm done. And I know that like his will to try to create was there, right? Like like it's again we weren't there. It seems like he had ideas. Some of them were really worthwhile exploring. And I think he, you know, I imagine for these people who care for this guy how painful and what a struggle this whole thing was to try to just elicit anything usable out of him on a day in and day out basis. You do not know what guy you're going to get. The brilliant genius, 
the tortured mental case, the very sick friend, and imagine your own range of emotions if you're trying to make music with this person and try. Like his life depends on being able to make this album a success because he's not in Pink Floyd anymore. And they're not making new music with him anymore. So the, they're thinking about like, this is for his future. How do we have to kind of keep him viable as an artist? And, and it's brutal. Like it's brutal. It's, it makes me very sad when I hear it back. And uh, I'll, I'll just go into my summation, which is I had remembered these records a little more fondly than I do now. So I think these records, this record is definitely worth checking out. I think my memory of this record was a lot better than it is now, or maybe my impression years ago was like, this is amazing. And I was so excited to hear new music from Sid and the notion that other Pink Floyd guys were on this, maybe over made it overrated in my mind. But I do think there's, like I said, moments of brilliance in here, couched in a lot of other stuff that's not great. But if you're a completist and a diehard, or just a a Sid file, you will love you will like this record. I don't know about love, but like a lot. Yeah, man, is it me now? I think it's me. So, yeah, look, a lot of this record is terrible. Um, a Whoa. lot of this record is a complete mess. But also, a lot of this record is absolute genius and absolutely fantastic. Um, and there's there's easily enough of the fantastic stuff um, that this is a spin it for me. Um, it, it walks that line. And yet, look, I, I get it. Even the moments when, when I'm saying terrible, I'm exaggerating a little bit in that. Yes, it's kind of terrible, but it walks that line where it's about to fall apart. It sometimes kind of does fall apart. But I guess arguably that's part of its charm. So I completely get that what I'm describing as terrible is the same stuff that other people are going to describe as genius. Probably Nick, um, for one. So yeah, look, it's a definite spin. It. I don't think it's the best thing Sid had ever done. I think a lot of it is is confused. I think a lot of it crosses that line into being pretty crap. But um, overall, there is loads of great stuff on here, and people should definitely hear it um but yeah look you've got to you've got to treat it in context and um yeah look certainly if you're a fan of Sid you're gonna love it if you're a fan of Sid you'll already know this um um yeah I, I feel like I'm that's rambling. true at least not in America anyway okay but um yeah look look it's a spin it but it's um it's a cautious spin it you know don't expect to like every second of this it's a very flawed record but it's certainly got moments of genius on there. Okay. Well, I've been called out more than once on the sum up. That's interesting. Um, for me, it's a definite spin it. And, you know, the way Duncan put it was it does fall down. And, you know, it's not exciting when you go to the circus unless they pretend to fall. Unless the high jump people or unless the trapeze artists pretend to slip a little bit on their dismount because... Uh, as somebody who has seen the circus literally 15 times in four days, when I worked at the arena where it was performing, I knew exactly when all of the little dramatic efforts were going to take place. That's why they put them in there, to make it more exciting. Well, this doesn't have dramatic pushes of, oh, no, it might fall. No, he, he falls. There are times on this record where Sid Barrett is completely lost and nobody can get him on the right path. 
that. So the, you know, the element of danger, you know, Ace Fraley might fall down when he does his little, his little dance. He has to fall down sometimes or it's, you know, nobody believes it. Well, he falls down. He legitimately falls down, but he legitimately stands up and puts out some amazing music on this album. Is it uneven? Oh my God. Yes. There are parts on this album that are, would have fit perfectly well on the the second album, Saucer Full of Secrets. There are songs on here that would have fit perfectly well on Piper at the Gates of Dawn. And there are songs on here where you listen to them and go, holy crap, they put that on a record? <laughs> it, it, there's a little bit of everything, but it's an absolute spin it. If you are a fan of Pink Floyd and you wonder what might have been, this is as close as we're ever going to get to what might have been with Sid. Totally. Well, it's a unanimous spin it. So there we are. That's pretty rare. But uh, anything else, gentlemen? No, no, it's it. a, I enjoyed listening to this. Been a pleasure. Thank you both uh, for having me back. And thank you for coming on. Yeah, great to chat as always. Well, in the future, maybe we will do an episode. Should discuss this off air, but now it's now it's pressure filled. Maybe we'll do an episode where we do Zabriskie Point, where the wind when the where the wind blows, and if we can find some other bits and bobs of crap that nobody can find. Anything but rattle that lock. Oh yeah, that album is awful. <laughs> and I'm the Gilmore guy, so but yeah, no thank you. Or Z. Okay. No thank you. Anything else, gentlemen? No, thank you for listening, people. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week. Bye bye bye. Cheers.